All right, let's gather back. We uh, always enjoy our fellowship. We will continue our fellowship after worship with Taste of New Life. Everyone is welcome. Going to transition the young people K through fifth grade. We have a children's experience during the second part of our worship. Uh, they transition to that, then they transition back. Uh, all children of all ages are welcome to stay in through the majority of worship, uh, the entirety of worship, I should say. Uh, and we'll also collect our offering, tithes and offerings, for this evening. Somebody will. I won't. It's hard to do it. Talk at the same time. So uh, as we collect our tithes and offerings for uh, this evening, we do have uh, several guests, and I welcome you uh, to New Life. Feel free to ask me any questions if you need to, or Jeff, um, or Jamie, or Whitney, any of our staff people. Uh, two ways for you to connect to us so that uh, we can connect to you. Uh, there are uh, attendance registers here in every uh, uh, aisle or every row of chairs. Uh, fill out your information there. Another way is to fill out one of these connect cards. They just rip off of your New Life notes. That gives you a little bit uh, more uh, clarity uh, on information. Uh, reasons to connect. Um, you know, we like to send you a nice little thank you card and uh, thank you for worshiping with us. Give you some more information. Uh, we have a weekly e-newsletter that goes out every Thursday that tells you about what's going on in the life of our community uh, and gives you a little bit more connection to what's happening. Uh, also, uh, happy to uh, you know have prayer concerns or any other questions that you would have. Fill out one of those. You can give that to me or uh, to Jeff or um, anybody who's just walking around, I guess. Uh, but welcome. I, I am... Uh, Always uh, have, have some good guests. We have a lot of guests tonight, so welcome. Let's have a word of prayer as we transition now to our forming time. Let us pray. Lord, we uh, just come with thanksgiving and praise in your name as we come to worship tonight. We ask that you send your spirit and your grace upon us now. That you set our hearts on fire, that you allow us to hear, to see, to understand in a new way as we are challenged by your work. We ask that most of all you make us one, that we may truly be one people of new life, seeking a community of new life. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. Well, I want to welcome all of you here to New Life. I'm Mark Myers, the uh, pastor. I want to welcome all those joining us online. We have a uh, a large community of people that follow our uh, online uh, podcasts. Uh, and if you want to catch up on any, we are in the uh, fourth week of our Gods at War series. If you want to catch up on any uh, sermons that you've missed, teachings that you missed, you can go on to our website, www.findnewlifeumc.org uh, to catch up on any of them, or you can go to iTunes and podcast them. Just look up New Life UMC. So now that that's done. So we are in the fourth week of Gods and War. Uh, I want to start not with a uh, parable like I've started the last few weeks, but with a uh, just kind of uh, an admittance, let's put it that way, a confession, if you will. Now, I don't gamble. I'm not saying that to tell you that I'm better than anybody who does. I'm just saying I don't gamble. I've never been to a casino. I don't play cards for money. I play cards for fun. I don't do uh, scratch-off tickets. I don't uh, particularly enjoy spending money in any way like that. And I'm slightly disturbed at the number of uh, video poker parlors that are 
kind of popping up all over the place. That's a different sermon for a different day. But I will admit this. On my way to Chicago, or the suburbs, or wherever I'm going, uh, once or twice a month, I always pass a billboard. And it's a lotto billboard. And it's a very simple billboard. Uh, On one half it says, Mega Millions. And on the other half it says, Powerball. And it always has the numbers. What those two uh, games are up to. I think a couple weeks ago when I was uh, driving out to the suburbs, Mega Millions was at $150 million and Powerball was at $250 million. Now it's fun as I drive by and I admit as I drive uh, into the city, I always stop and I always think to myself, be nice to have that kind of money. I could do a lot. Yes, right, for a dollar ticket or for a thousand dollars, either way, but... Uh, you kind of stop and you imagine, wow, what could I, uh, altruistically, obviously, what could I do with that kind of money? How could I uh, help the poor, help my community? Now, I might imagine a couple things I could buy for myself, too, in the midst of that. But it's fun to imagine. It's fun to think about what that kind of money could buy. Now, I've not won. Oh, there's the sign. I've not won either of those games, and I, I, I continue not to. My wife um, insists that you have to play them to win them. Doesn't seem fair. I know. It does. Yeah, I, I guess. Now the lotto, uh, Illinois lotto, or the national lotto, celebrates big winners. When that uh, Powerball, the Mega Million, gets up to three, four, I, I think it's even been up to 500 million, they, they celebrate when somebody wins it big. Now, what you don't hear the lotto do is kind of follow up with where are they now stories. And the reason they don't do that is because many, many people who win it big lose everything very quickly. I've read stories and seen stories about people who lost their family, their friend, they quit their job, they lost everything, even many People who win over a million dollars end up in bankruptcy within five years of winning. Now, it partly has to do with the fact that people who don't have a lot of money aren't good with having a lot of money, so they don't have that experience. But when you start having money, you start doing things that maybe you wouldn't normally do. You start thinking that the money can do something for you. Today we're going to talk about gods of success, achievement, money, fame, power. And all those things seem like worthy things. They can help us. They can make us better. They can even protect us. They can protect our family. We can even use our money, our power, our status to make the world a better place. But they quickly take hold of our hearts. And as we've talked about for three weeks, and as we're going to talk about for the three weeks uh, today and two more weeks, when something besides God takes hold of our hearts, it becomes an idol. And that is never a good thing. So Jesus spoke a lot about money, we know that. Because he did. And in Luke 18, we read a very familiar story that almost always pops up when you hear Jesus 
and money. But this isn't just a story about money. This is a story about idolatry. So as we read it today, as we go through it, as we think about it and reflect about it, I want to look at it through the lens of idolatry. Worshipping false gods. Putting other things in the place where God should live in our hearts. So let's read from Luke chapter 18. If you have your uh, Bibles or Bible apps with you, you can open that up, Luke chapter 18. It will be on the screen, of course. A certain ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to obtain eternal life? Now, we don't know much about this man besides the titles he's given. Um, uh, we, we also read this same story uh, in Matthew, so we know a little bit more about that. Uh, Luke calls him a ruler, which probably means he was a recognized official with some kind of authority. Matthew adds that he was young. Um, young is under the age of 40 in biblical times. Now, so we have a young, powerful man. And he comes to Jesus and asks about eternal life. Now, we can't skip over the verb usage. In the, in the Greek, we, we read, or, or in this common English ber- version, we read obtain. Another way to say that would be uh, inherit, earn. He's not asking how he can live into new life, eternal life. He's not asking Jesus how to receive new life, eternal life. He's asking how he can earn it. This was a man who was used to earning his way. Working to get ahead, obtaining anything he set his mind on. This was another goal to achieve. Eternal life. It's another bucket list item. It's another check mark on my ambition list, my goal list. He saw salvation the same way he saw new acquisition. Jesus replies, Why do you call me good? No one is good except the one true God. You know the commandments. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Honor your mother and father. Then the ruler said, I've kept all of these since the day I was a boy. Now Jesus answered his question honestly. God laid down 613 laws to help the people of Israel, to help humanity, to obtain eternal life. God did that because they asked. God just wanted them to worship God and have a relationship with God, but they wanted rules. And so God gave them 613 rules. The the Ten Commandments is the first ten of those. But Jesus tries to help this young man. He says, listen, no one is good except the one true God. People have been trying for hundreds and thousands of years to live into goodness, to earn salvation through living these 613 laws. But only Jesus Christ was able to keep them and live without sin. But the young ruler does not get it. He says, I've been following the rules. He says, I've been living how I'm supposed to live. He thinks that following the law will lead to new life, to eternal life. He thinks that marking off a list of things to do will lead to eternal life. 
he claimed to worship God, but really he was worshiping the rules. When Jesus heard this, he said, there's one more thing. Sell everything you own. Distribute the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young, rich ruler heard these words, he became very sad because he was extremely rich. The Common English Bible uses the uh, adjective extremely to describe his wealth, his, uh, his richness, the money that he had. And the Greek adjective actually sets his finances above the majority of people. This is, you know, he's the 1%. This is the richest of the rich. And we read this story, we like to make it about that, about his richness, about his having money, because we don't want to sell all of our stuff and give it to the poor. But we like the idea that Jesus was sticking it to somebody who had a lot of money, somebody who was a millionaire or a billionaire. Jesus even goes on to say how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? But the issue is not his wealth. The issue is his idolatry. Jesus is putting himself in direct competition with the thing this man worships his money, his power, his affluence. Jesus is saying, Choose this day who you will follow, me or money. There's no in between. Jesus puts it. This way in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one, love the other. He will be devoted to the one or despise the other. We cannot worship God when we are worshiping the gods of success. So what is the real issue with money? Because we are still talking about money. What's the real holdup when it comes to money? Money isn't evil after all. It's just a thing. It's neutral. It's amoral. It doesn't have a a code of ethics. It's just stuff. It's a system that we've been using since, well, for a long, long time. But why is money so often portrayed as God's primary competition? I believe the reality is because we look to money to do the same things that God does in our lives. We look to money to do godly things give you a few examples first of all we we believe that money will satisfy us right as a nation we proclaim that everyone has the right to life liberty and the pursuit of happiness i believe those are great things in proper context and proper understanding of our christian faith but how many of us how many millions of people over the course of the history of the United States of America have equated the pursuit of happiness to the accumulation of wealth. If I only had a little more. If I had a million dollars. A little bit of money would buy me the things I want, the things I need. We may not even say that kind of stuff out loud or to ourselves. In our hearts, we feel like money can satisfy us. Like it can help us. 
it can make us happy. The rich people in our world may even say, money doesn't make you happy, but we believe, I think, that they're lying to us to make us feel better. Because it sure seems like the big mansions and the fast cars and the lavish living is pretty nice. It seems like that would make most of us pretty happy. Second, sometimes we believe that money means that we matter. Sometimes it's called keeping up with the Joneses. You're familiar with that. Uh, The wealth we have, the things uh, that we have equal how important we are. My father's father uh, lived that out uh, uh, very badly in his life. He would buy things, the newest and nicest things, to impress his friends that made him feel important, that made other people think he was important. Things became the measure of his importance and worth. Other times we think that money can make us significant. We actually judge our worth by how much we have, our, our net wealth, our net income, our identity. We look to money to tell us who we are. There are a lot of people who have to live in, in certain communities, send their children to certain schools, and wear the right kind of clothes and drive the right kind of car to be important. I'm not making that up. I've known people that have tried to get jobs or have lived in jobs where they were told, you don't live in the right community. You don't drive the right car. You're not wearing the right watch. Because money means importance. Third, money will make you secure. This is a tricky one. This is one many of us live in. I've worked most of my life, uh, when I was a boy, I worked odd jobs, various jobs. Uh, I, I've had steady work until I was, uh, since I was 16, I should say. Worked pretty much every, every uh, day of my life since I was 16. And I've never had a lot of money, but I've also never been insecure about money. I've never felt like I didn't have enough. But having a family changes that. You start to worry about providing for them. You want to keep them safe. You want to keep them secure. You want their future to be right, provided for. Sadly, for many of us, more money means less God. Because when you put your security in money, God doesn't seem all that necessary. We wrongfully assume that we can have enough or save enough to take care of ourselves. That leads to the final thing and perhaps the most insidious of these four ideas. That money will save us. The real problem with idolatry is that we look to something other than Jesus for salvation. We're lonely. We look to a relationship for salvation. We're empty. We look to possessions. For salvation. We're depressed. We look to food for salvation. We're rejected. We look to pornography for salvation. We're angry. We look to alcohol for salvation. We're apathetic. We look to our work. We're proud. We look to status. We're worried. And we look for money for salvation. I think it's a bigger problem than we think. Think about how, how we talk 
politically, we're just coming out of wonderful political season, midterm elections. Think about how we talk. Every group, uh, you know, not to be partisan one way or the other, every single group thinks that if they had more money, if they had more clout, they could change America. They could change our community. Charitable organizations are no different. If this uh, charity had more money, they could cure this disease. If And it does take money to do that kind of stuff, but we, we put our faith in it. If we only had a little bit more, we could do more. Uh, even churches, if we only had more money, we could make more disciples. We could impact our world more, and, and maybe, yeah. But when that money becomes the salvation. He replaces Jesus Christ. All the gods of the world offer salvation. None of them make good on it. I do want to tell you a story tonight. Millard Fuller, excuse me, tells of becoming a millionaire by the time he was 29. He had bought his wife everything she desired. He had done everything that he had hoped to achieve and one night he comes home and she's missing he goes to find her and he tracks her down in a hotel room in New York City and they spend the night talking she tells him that even though she has everything that the world tells her she should have that he that she feels empty inside that she doesn't like the kind of people that they've become the kind of world that they're living in. And so the next day being Sunday, they get up and they go to the uh, nearest church, you know, because that's a good thing to do. And they go to the pastor and, and they, they sit with the pastor and they say, here's how much money we have. Um, yeah, it's a lot. And, and we, uh, uh, we want to give it all away to the poor. We're, we're feeling called to give everything away. The pastor says, well, you don't have to do that. That's a little extreme. And Millard goes on to talk in his uh, recollection about how the pastor didn't understand that every cent that they held on to was a god that they were worshiping. That until they gave it all away, they could not be free. Now, Millard and uh, Linda, I believe, let me double-check that, yeah, Millard and Linda are people maybe you're not familiar with, but you are probably familiar with the organization that they started, Habitat for Humanity. They decided to spend their entire life, their entire savings, they really, they decided to give up. They said, we've been living life a certain way. And until we give it all away, we can't give up and follow Christ. And because of them, some wonderful things have happened. Now it's sad to think about our young rich ruler. And I believe that he probably became an old rich ruler. And in one of the most paradoxical and odd verses in Scripture, we read that when he heard these words, he became sad because he was extremely rich. 
We don't often attribute sadness to being extremely wealthy because we fantasize about what it would be like even to have just a little bit more, even to just pay down this credit card, this loan, this house payment, to have a few thousand dollars in savings, let alone millions. But the young rich ruler was sad because he wanted to worship both God and money. And Jesus told him he had to choose. The invitation was to follow Jesus and money was not invited. Money was not welcome. So I want to ask as we continue to worship, as we uh, praise God, as we fellowship, as we go into our week, what is Jesus telling you to leave behind? so that you can worship fully and follow him. Amen. As our uh, team comes up, let's continue in prayer. Remembering all those who we've been thinking about, those who have been on our hearts, our brothers and sisters who aren't here tonight. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we wait for you to come again into our midst. Sometimes we wait patiently, sometimes less patiently. Always we are aware of how much our world needs you. We pray today for those in our community who need your healing and comfort. We pray for our persons in leadership across our country, those who are recently elected, those who are retaining their office, that together, despite policy and politics, that we might make wise decisions for the betterment of our nation and for your kingdom. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, those who live and have lives that are torn apart by war. We pray for our veterans, those who have served, those who have given their lives, those who are home safe but still bear wounds. Allow your love and our support to strengthen them and honor them. We pray to all the saints and for all the saints who have witnessed to your love. And we pray knowing that you are with us now, that you will strengthen us, keep us awake, keep us faithful, and keep us working until the time that Christ comes again to surprise us anew with love and justice upon earth. Amen.